from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man came up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to them, Teacher, said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So right into the conversation between Jesus and the rich man at the start here, good teacher, you don't find that adjective anywhere else in the book of Mark. You hear teacher often uh, as reference to Jesus, but good teacher here is something new, and you can almost hear it as uh, this fellow kind of buttering up to Jesus and saying, good teacher, you know, kind of let me get on your your huh. good side, if you will, as I come to you. And so when Jesus flips that question back to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Well, as listeners, we we know that Jesus is both man and God. It's not that he is questioning the fact that he's what is good, but it's that... Uh, He's trying to say, "What are you after here? What are you, what are you up to? Calling me good? Um, no one is good but God alone." And then he turns around. He said, "He's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And so there's almost this equation right in the question there of good and eternal life, and these two things somehow go together. And so, in a sense, you can think of it: Jesus is kind of playing a game of dodgeball with him. Okay, okay, you think you want to weigh up and figure out how you're doing on the get-to-eternal-life game here? Okay, 
Um, let's see. Let's go through the Ten Commandments. You've you've managed to uh, pull off all of those. You've you've uh, managed to dodge the law on all those and haven't done anything there. And um, then he says, "Well, you know what? You still lack one thing. Go and give what you owe to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me." And the man goes away shocked and grieving, for he had many possessions. I think sometimes this can get taken as like, oh, this is Jesus taking a stab at the rich, and uh, it's not it's not good to be rich. But uh, I don't take that as what he's after here, so much as he's saying on this question of inheriting eternal life. You know, he presses on the case in the next section there that it's even if the man had done that, it's not possible for mortals. Uh, it's gaining eternal life is is not possible for humans apart from God doing it for them. So it's kind of like this guy is trying to say, hey, look at all this stuff that I've done and surely I've earned my spot. Yeah? Yeah. Is that right? And then hearing, no. Going back to, to what I'm seeing is the possessions become his God. We can make our God out of whatever it is. And Jesus sees that his heart is with his possessions and with the things that he owns or that own him. And and he needs to give those up. And the same for us, those things that we have to control, that we have to keep, that we uh, have to give us control or make us God is what needs to be given up. And each of us has our own gods. That's a good way to put it. He's trying to, he wants it on his terms. And often we think of the things that come between us and God when we talk about sin as uh, here are the things that I've done wrong, and therefore that's what's broken my relationship with God. So this is a, a different look at the same thing in the sense that this guy is saying, here's all the things I've done right. Jesus responds, your virtues are no good either. They're, yeah. You're, they're, yeah. they're great for your neighbors, but your virtues haven't earned you anything with me either. They've simply, as, as you pointed out, these things now, your virtues have also come in the way of your relationship with God because you've credited them as what makes you good and not God. So uh, yeah. that's that's spot on saying they, all his goodness has become his God. His God, yeah. And then that's, so that's where that middle section there, if, we, if we're playing, I've heard it put this way before, if we're playing dodgeball here, Jesus cranks it up, he finds a bigger ball. And he says, <laughs> well, whatever, even if you think you hit it all. It's impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Well, there once upon a time was a thought that that was like a particular passage in this fence outside of a city that, well, if you had the right camel, you could actually get through this this gateway, this narrow passageway. But that's just more human nonsense trying to find a, a loophole in all this to have a part in it when Jesus clearly says, okay, quit playing around. You can't do this. Right. You need God to do this. For mortals, it is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. A couple of echoes I'm hearing of earlier stories here, too. Uh, we go clear back to the Garden of Eden here, and this was uh, Adam and Eve's issue. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and because they, they wanted to be like God, knowing right from wrong. And so it's always a curiosity to me that even though they ate of that tree, it's clear the fruit didn't take effect or they didn't get the proper uh, understanding between good and evil. We we still wrestle with that today, understanding what's good and what's evil. And then uh, this is from Luke's gospel, but to kind of pull us back to the Christmas Eve narrative, 
um, Mary's words uh, after finding out that she's pregnant with Jesus. It says, you know, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so the good news of finding ourselves in impossible situations in life and looking at them like, wow, there, there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this situation. You know, nothing I've built up, no savings or, or, or no financial thing, no virtues that I have, nothing can get me out of this situation. It is impossible. And yet that seems to be God's favored means of working into when it's clear that it's, you can't do anything. <laughs> right. We, we can't do it. So then that's the, that's the time and the place where we can truly see God working. Otherwise, we take credit for it ourselves and yeah. add to our glory. And sure try. <laughs> yes. Yes. The last section, too, where, so Jesus says, Truly I tell you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions. You know, that last little bit tacked on there. And in the age to come, eternal life. I'm not sure, I guess, what to make of that 100% other than that when you become part of this faith community, when you become part of God's church, there is a new understanding of what it is to have brothers and sisters and family and support uh, that is way beyond what you yourself could do. God got at work through all these other people around you. And there are persecutions that come along with following Christ as well, but what are you, what are you thinking well, out there? What I'm, what I'm smiling about or thinking about is that it's like, you know, yeah, your your fields, your home, your brothers and sisters, your closest people may not be the same as what they would be and what you gave up. Um, but they're still going to bring you persecution. <laughs> yes. Your houses, your fields, the people you know, you are still going to feel persecuted in yeah. some way or form by them. And our hope is in that eternal life, that age that does come. Which, which again, is that, that flip-flop. First will be last, last will be first. Good is perceived as bad. Yes, the and bad that's... Of, it's not in here, but the bad of the cross becomes the good that rescues. That's a good to lift that up to, and uh, the cross being the most prominent example, but of things that we look at and say, oh, that's just bad, but that's God works good out of that. So kind of getting back to our our constant confusion about things that are good or bad or that we, we this guy thinks all his virtues are really good and they are for the sake of his neighbors but as far as eternal life it doesn't count for anything i was just going to share at the end here too there's a great story by flannery o'connor called revelation and it's about this woman who's in a doctor's office at the start of the story and she's kind of looking around at everybody else in the doctor's office and reassuring herself, oh, thank God I'm not like that person. Oh, look at that poor person. You know, I've got this little thing going on, but at least it's I'm not as bad as them and kind of going through this whole thing. And there's a scene breaks out in the middle of the story and she's confused why uh, this young woman attacks her. And she goes home later and working on, on her farm in the hog lot and just kind of praying to God, like, why did this happen to me? You know, I'm I'm a good person. Stuff like this shouldn't happen to me. And she has this vision of heaven and of people going up into heaven over this bridge from earth up into heaven, and there's kind of a, a blazing fire 
midway across that bridge and people are passing through it. And the first people that are going across the bridge are people that are right along with who she was sitting there in the office and saying, oh, at least I'm not like them. You know, and as they pass through, all their sins and shortcomings are burning off. And then at the back of the line are people that she herself identifies with also crossing this bridge, but also seeing all of their, what she would consider virtues and wonderful things also burning off in that fire. And yeah. it's this this image of uh, neither your shortcomings nor your what you would count as your gains make it through this purifying fire that, sure. that uh, it's God alone is yeah. the one. Carrying That's a great through. image. Yeah, it's a powerful story. It's uh, <laughs> If I had time, maybe I would tell that story instead on a Sunday morning, but I think it would take longer than, than what I could. But you can find Flannery O'Connor pretty easy at your local library, or you might even find that story online. It's called Revelation. When have you been in a situation where you couldn't fix it and you had to rely on somebody else to do it? That you were at a hospital or at a you know needed some service or some something done, but you did not have the ability or the capability to get that done. And then the end to it would be is how did that make you feel? What emotions came through during that time? when was a time in your life or maybe it's right now when you felt the most secure and what about that situation or this present situation makes you feel secure both for this life and for the one to come and then maybe to tack on that how long did that sense of security last another question i have uh, as jesus talks about at the end those who have left house or family or one thing or another that we find security in and followed him or become a part of, I'll, I'll just say become a part of God's congregation on earth in one way or another. How did that change things for you? What what did you gain? What maybe did you perhaps lose? Or what were some of the struggles or persecutions as Jesus puts it? Mm-hmm. 